Today's episode is brought to you by TheNeighborFund.com. The Neighbor Fund is a crowd-directed charity. Donors commit some amount per month. It could be as low as 10 bucks a month. And then you get a voting right to decide how that money is distributed to the categories of people, causes, and magic every month. And it doesn't matter how much you donate, you get a vote. This actually was created because of our guest and some other things. But our guest today is Matt Cohn. Matt uh, has done a TED Talk. Uh, he's a philanthropist. I would call him a philanthropist. He does many other things too. Matt uh, originated or the first person to publicize the idea of the abundance model. Uh, the abundance model is a way of looking at wealth and money. And I actually met Matt here in Chiang Mai two years ago, almost two years ago to the week um, at the Meeting of the Masters uh, retreat with Montauk Chia and the Tantra Master Charles Muir. I went two years ago out here on a one-way ticket. I just gotten out of a relationship. I was like, ah, one-way ticket. I'll, I'll hang out there for three weeks. I work online. I might as well. I uh, ended up <laughs> never leaving, buying a place here, settling down. I, I live here half the year now. But other than that, another big thing that changed my life coming out here was I met Matt Cohn um, at, at the pool during like a lunch break or something. I heard him speaking about cryptocurrency. This is early 2018. So Bitcoin was just about to pop the bubble, I mean. But anyway, I heard him speaking about it. Everyone's been to Bitcoin. It was interesting. He seemed like an expert. And other than speaking about cryptocurrency, the more relevant thing, the thing that's more sustainable that we spoke about is his views on wealth as a whole and abundance as a whole. Many people speak about abundance in the personal development world. I'd say it is. A, it's certainly a mystical view. Like it's not provable. It's not scientific. It's uh, requires some faith. And whether, but the thing is, whether or not it's provable, it makes, it's a, I think a very, expansive way to look at wealth and it's just like you know playing with the idea over the last couple of years not exactly following it to a t but like you know, just acting as if seeing what would happen my income has shot up a ton and more importantly and maybe because of this like my views around money i became a lot less tight a lot less fearful and just made me feel good about myself in the world so uh basically speaking with matt inspired uh, the creation of the neighbor fund um the neighbor fund was started by myself and some other people including Matt, who were inspired by the idea of the abundance model and a way to give back and feel good about yourself and create a more abundant reality. So without giving out too much away the episode, <laughs> that is, uh, this is the abundance model. Right now you're listening to episode 074, Matt Cohn, the abundance model. You're listening to the Rwando Podcast, part of the Gotham Podcast Studio Network in New York, New York. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate it wherever you listen to podcasts. Awesome. It's great to have you here, Matt. Uh, yeah, I've been excited to have this conversation with you. So it's, I'm also, it's awesome that we got to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so uh, we met in Chiang Mai almost two years ago now, kind of uh, randomly at a retreat. I think I overheard you speaking about cryptocurrency, and then we started talking about abundance. And you shared with me a perspective that since then, I mean, the, the two things I know for sure is that my wealth has gone up a lot lately, and I also feel a lot better about money. The first part may or may not have to like direct, you know, we, we can't tell, right, how much it directly affected, uh, but um, totally my financial life has changed and my views of money have changed. So I'm really grateful to you for that. And I'd love if you could share what the abundance model was and how you arrived at it. I was uh, five, six, seven years ago, I was in mm -hmm. a uh, long 10 day retreat. And usually in those 10-day silent retreats, I get downloaded something. And that mm -hmm. one specifically was this whole sort of education and, and learnings about this notion of abundance. And mm -hmm. I kept seeing all these different angles and 
you know, the difference between abundance and generosity and, and I pretty much have lived pretty much an abundant lifestyle most of my life, but I just saw, saw how it all sort of came together and then mm -hmm. I decided about the people. Yeah. Hmm. Can, can you break down what it is exactly so that people know what they're talking, we're talking about? Sure. So the idea of abundance is um, a belief, a recognition that I've pretty much always had what I need and a lack of fear of the future that the future won't be the same. So that basically in abundance, you have, you, you have a confidence and a lack of fear that what you need, both financially with love or with any oxygen, that you have the sufficient resources to be accomplishing what you're doing in life. And, you know, fear gets put into place, which brings up the whole notion of scarcity. And scarcity is usually a fear of the future. I'm afraid that 30 years from now, I'm going to be stuck in some hole and not have resources. So I'm going to stockpile a lot of resources now um, to, you know, to absolve this fear in the future. So the idea of abundance model is it's also a mindset. You, um, there are people, many people here in Seattle that I used to counsel that had millions and millions of dollars and they live with a scarcity mindset. They, they feared that they weren't going to have resources in the future or their kids wouldn't have resources in the future. And I spent a bunch of time with people in Nepal and it blew me away. These people had nothing, like relative to a Westerner. But their culture supports them. You know, their, their community supports them. Um, if you need something, if somebody gets sick, everybody throws money in a pot and takes care of people. And so the people there live very much in the present and they have very little fear of, of scarcity. Uh, so the, the actual amount of money that you have doesn't really drive abundance or scarcity. It's a mindset and it's a confidence that you will, you know, have what source will take care of you, the universe will take care of you. Um, so how do you get from a person that has millions that lives in scarcity? How do you get them to see abundance? And, you know, the traditional wisdom in the West is we'll make more money. And at some point in time, you'll have so much money that you won't, you'll, you won't fear the future anymore. But in reality is, is the more money you have, you start fearing that you're going to lose it even more than if you didn't have it, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is a pretty freaky thing. So, so what came really clear to me is the only way to practice abundance was to flow the overflowing cup, which is talked about in a lot of different traditions. If you have a 10 ounce cup and someone tries to pour 15 ounces in it, what happens? Five of it overflows. And you realize that 10 ounces is what you need. If 15 comes in, I, I guess I didn't need that extra five. Right. So from the abundance model perspective, it says start flowing excess resources now. Shrink your cup down so that you can actually start flowing excess. And as you start to get comfortable, it's like, oh, there's this extra flow flowing out of me. So the cup will start growing over time. So, so like in practice, it's like allocating part of your income to things that are beyond you. So, so the practice that was given to me someone's overweight you need it you need a system you need to start counting calories and you need to figure out your proteins and things you need, you need some sort of system to get your your diet in order and then if you really deliver on that maybe after six months or a year it just becomes automatic you start eating the right things eating the right calories a financial model um again most people here think well i'm going to save up a bunch of money and then i can be generous in the future but the, but the abundance model says, no, you need to start practicing now. You need to shrink your cup on your expenses and practice overflowing to others 
And then you start to see, demonstrate, whoa, I have excess resources. And you start to feel this flow of abundance. And lots of different systems, law of attraction or different things will say, if you're flowing abundance, then more abundance is going to come to you. You're going to, there's new clients, new resources, different things will start to come and support that practice. Yeah, I remember you said something, uh, which made me laugh before about like um, the universe is like a multi-level marketer. And like, if, if you're giving, if you're distributing well, it'll give you more stuff. Like that's been a nice uh, <laughs> way to look at it at least. Yeah, it's like a multi-level karma scheme. Like, mm -hmm. of course, could go do all this work, but if they find somebody willing to do the work for them, might as well make them do the work for you. Okay, you know, and so if, you, if you're unique in your insights on places that need to get served, and you start to serve those well, then more resources are going to show up to serve them even more. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I, 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 what you were saying earlier about like the, the Nepalese versus millionaires in America, um, like, I'm, have you read Sapiens by any chance? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he speaks about, um, Harari speaks about like the isolation of consumerism of like making us like these individual units we have to provide for ourselves. So of course we hoard. Cause like we have nothing. And like what I'm drawing from like this perspective is like, even if we're in a consumer society where we don't expect a community to chip in for us, we're kind of just trusting that the universal collective will take care of us. And then we can actually be open with our resources again. I mean, I like to think about it as hoarding is like blocking the flow of energy mm -hmm. and in the body, the blocking of flow of the energy creates cancer. So mm -hmm. if, if you're blocking the, if you're a river, you're, it with a dam eventually it could bust if there's more resources that come through and that dam will break and things will happen if you're hoarding resources it's my theory that at some level people in the world need uh, like new houses need to get built so your house will get burnt down <laughs> because because this money needs to flow right so things start to, i think like if you have a massive hoarding problem Eventually, the universe is going to try to move that, and things will in life will occur where you will have to start spending resources. Yeah, so this is one of the things that I think I pushed back on initially because it is, you know, it is in the realm of magical thinking. Like, we can't prove any of this, right? Um, but like, I think everyone, I could probably think of situations where they grip too tightly and it was taken away or something, or at least the the thing that, yeah, uh, the thing that sold it for me that that when you shared it was like. Even if all of this stuff, like we don't, we can't tell the cause and effects of karma and stuff. Like what you're buying in quotes is like the feeling of abundance, which is like directly feel. You can directly feel it, and how could that not make you more resourceful? Exactly. So one of the things that got what really blew me away is when I understood the difference between generosity and abundance. So a lot of people talk about the notion of generosity, and and generosity is. Say you have a thousand dollars, and someone comes by and says, you, you know, they need a hundred dollars, and you give them a hundred dollars out of your thousand, and now you have nine hundred. It's like you gave them something that was yours, and now you have less. And that person is considered generous, like they gave something that was theirs up to somebody else. Abundance is picture a you're, you have an apartment, and in your closet you have space for three jackets, but now you have somehow you have ten jackets. And somebody walks by in front of you and they're cold. You like, you take that extra jacket and you give it to them. And like, they're doing you almost a favor. Like that was the appropriate place for it. You didn't have space for it. They took it off your hands and it feels good because they actually need it. But you had an excess. And as 
as kind of an abundant person, you starting, where's the proper place for this thing? Well, the place for it is not under my couch. I don't have a hoard it. If this person's cold. Well, this is the proper place for this extra jacket. Right? It's abundant. So when you're abundant, there's no there's no pain in giving. Like a, yeah. Where generosity, usually there's a little bit of pain, but you people admire the person for being generous because they they're willing to take some pain for it. Right. Yeah, it's been great. We're like it's it's not um it's not a zero sum situation where you're losing or like you're giving at expense. You know, like uh. I don't know if we've ever spoken about Charles Eisenstein stuff, but like I remember from one of his books, like he was sharing all these statistics, like there's six empty homes for every homeless person in America. And like, obviously the world produces way more food than all of the starving people would need. But like, we just have this like terrible distribution scheme. So it's kind of yeah. like correcting it a little bit. So the abundance model says that you need to have a proper cash fund, if you will. Like it's, it's okay to have a proper stash. Like an appropriate amount of money put away to you know to cover the the cash flow issue and some amount of savings going forward, but it, but excess amount of savings will create a scarcity mindset. It'll start to create a disease in the mind, and you'll start fearing the loss of that, and you'll become more constrictive. We don't want to see that thing flowing. Hmm. Are you familiar with fire? That's you- uh, the Financial independence, retire early yes, community. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah, have, well, a, I have a couple of friends who are really into that right now here. Mm-hmm. We have good debates about it. So. Yeah, I'm curious because I, I mean, I heard about this more recently and like some of the principles are, are very much the same, like reduce your expenditures, like you don't need those extra things, but it's all about putting it into index funds or something that so you can live off the interest as opposed to like giving would be kind of anthet- uh, against <laughs> against the principles of the abundance model. I'm curious like what your side of the debate is. I just I mean, when you're abundant, you're not, I guess it's frugal. You can be frugal, but things just feel right. Like it, it doesn't feel right to stay in a $400 a night hotel when there's a, you know, a $70 hotel option available. You know, there's just sort of an, an amount that feels right to flow from. But the idea of sacrificing, really being constrictive so that in the future you don't have to work. Um, and the, the idea of retirement is that you're really not doing anything. In, in my mind, like the, the, the well-long-lived life is someone that's going to be continually engaged with things throughout you know, their entire life. And that will probably bring additional resources. So it's not like, let me save up a bunch of money so then I don't have to be uh, accepting resources down the road, right? And that's kind of the traditional model in the West is make a bunch of money and you retire and you know, you're not needing income. You live off of your investments, if you will. I just, if you're engaged in meaningful purposeful work, then there's going to be this flow of an energy exchange that comes in that'll probably include you know, financial resources because you'll redistribute those that come in. So. Yeah, I uh, well, I think one of the most compelling things about even the fire stuff to me is that most people, when they reach financial independence, they actually find they like to do more things, like free from that, or like that's one of the arguments for universal basic income too. Like they find a lot of people end up doing more things when they have guaranteed money. Um, so yeah, I think that's interesting. It's like again, it's like faith in the future as opposed to fear about it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but uh, from what I know about you, you're you're basically retired, right? Like you, uh, I know you do things, but yeah, I don't. 
I mean, I've I've been bit, I'm busier now with things and resources come and go. Um, you know, the last eight or nine years, I haven't had like a W two income, a t- you know, a specific paycheck. But the more that I practice the abundance model, resources just just start to show up. Um, so, and I've I've co-owned a, a real estate company in Seattle. Um, I did a bunch of contract work for someone a couple summers ago. Um, helped my our mutual friend Caitlin with her trucking company. So. There's just fascinating projects that show up, and usually those things bring the energy exchange in some form, whether it's housing or you know, food and lodging or finding money coming. So, I, I kind of I, I wouldn't want to accept the word that I'm retired. Um, that just to me, it has some stigma associated with it. That you're gotcha. You're, kind of, you're adverse. You have an adverse reaction to income coming in. Mm-hmm. That's, I just keep staying in things that feel good and feel a purpose, and there's an appropriate energy exchange that comes from it. And gotcha. I just keep you know, I'm trying to redistribute at least 30% of what comes in, mm-hmm. uh, to do that out externally and see how that actually creates this sort of uh, ripple effects and more resources come from the giving. So it's kind of a whirlwind that, that rises. <laughs> Yeah, I remember one of your examples. Well, like you, you allocate or you recommend allocating ten percent to three different categories. All right, uh, people, causes, and magic. And uh, your your example for magic is like anonymously paying for for dinner for someone, for instance. That's one of the. So, like, I remember the the second time I did it, it was in Chiang Mai. I paid for my my friend and I. We actually together paid for all the tables at one of the nicer restaurants here. And I remember, like, you know. We had, we had, we had, as you suggested, we had separated this money into a separate accounts. So it wasn't like we were giving from ourselves. And we, you know, it's a secret, like the whole, the, all the staff were kind of in on it. And I remember walking out of there and it felt like I, we had just robbed a bank. Like we had like this thrill that we just got away with something awesome, but it was like yeah. beneficial for everyone. Like that, that in itself was so, it's like just so useful. I mean, whatever scarcity feelings I had around money had to, they couldn't stay at the same time. Yeah, there's... It's a strange thing to walk into a restaurant, pay for someone meal that you've never have seen, and you leave before you see their reaction. Then it it purely it really does recondition the mind that I'm abundant. Like I just did something. Somebody logical person would say that's like burning money. Like you might as well just lit it on fire, right? But walked into a restaurant, pay for someone's meal, um, left without seeing their reaction. It reinforces in my mindset abundance. But I, I do feel there's sort of this karmic accounting system out there where there's checks and balances and things laid out. And then by doing that, putting that sort of magic into the, the field, if you will, then positive things start to happen in my life. You know, people walk down the street and someone gives you a ticket to a football game or like things just happen, you know, really balances it out. Yeah. What do you say uh, to someone who's like maybe concerned that if they go into it with that karmic expectation, they're kind of doing it for the wrong reason at that point? Um, I mean, the ultimate goal of all of this practice is to condition my mind to be an abundant mind that I, that I, I don't fear the future. And knowing that I'm putting things into the field, you bet and see that your life becomes more and more positive. You know, that breeds more and more faith that the model works. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, if you're doing it selfishly, you put it in and expect to get it out. But the reality is you're probably going to get out three times what you put in. And then if you're really practicing this model, then you have three more, three times as much to actually distribute. So it starts to become 
you know, like a really an abundant field. And the 30% is sort of a baseline. So there have been times when it starts to feel like 50 or 60% to redistribute because the resources coming in are so much that um, I don't want to hoard those. And then there are these really cool uh, opportunities to invest that, that seem to pop up at the same time. So. Yeah, you've done a bunch of cool things lately. I mean, at least when I message you, you're you're like building something, you're creating something. Can you can you share some of the stuff that you've created? Yeah, right. Right now, I'm like uh, I co-founded a, a benefit corporation, real estate company in Seattle, Washington. Um, so our our model is we've partnered with the local land trust. The land trust's mission is to secure open uh, open spaces for public usage. So they go buy large tracts of land and prevent them from being logged and so forth. So we're uh, we're partnering with them. They're turning us on to a lot of uh, new leads, so people that want to sell the land, and we contribute thirty percent of all of our commission dollars back to the land trust. So it's kind of the abundant model where they're our partner, and through that, our resources are feeding the public good. But we've been getting so many more deals uh, coming to us by practicing this model than before when we weren't. So it, it's sort of self-feeding to create itself in a more positive way. And it's uh, set up as a benefit corporation, which is a different kind of entity in the United States, right? Yeah, B Corps are um, they're kind of a hybrid between a for-profit and non-for-profit. They're ta Pat Patagonia is the best-known B Corp in, in probably in the world. So Patagonia's mission is to have affect positive change in the Patagonia region of Chile. And unlike a nonprofit, if they were a nonprofit, they would come up with plans and then they would go find donors to give them money and affect that change. Um, Patagonia comes up with a plan and then they go create great products to create profits and then affect that change themselves. So it's kind of using the, the, the power of capitalism, if you will, to affect positive change in the world rather than the traditional sort of profit where you go and try to get access resources from wealthy people to affect change. Yeah. What I found about it's interesting because like, you know, if, if all the major corporations are like a critical mass of people believe this way, like the world's poverty issues could be solved. Right. Like, but it puts so much faith in, in an individual, like, you know, hypothetically, like I heard a Google drop their tagline. Don't be evil. I, I think I heard that on a podcast. I don't know if it's true, but like what stops someone when they have all this power to just change their mind? Just yeah. Well, B Corp is is required to have a, a a triple bottom line. You're required to build business strategies that support your investors, employees, and a dedicated cause that you're in business for. So since your your mission statement, not your incorporation documents require management to do that. So it's checks and balances system on capitalism and greed. Um, a typical company that has a vision starts to make a lot of profits. Um, greed kicks in and those profits go to investors and then they try to squeeze resources from their employees and if they do any charity work in the world it's really just a marketing campaign but B Corp says no the more successful we are all three parties will, will equally benefit and so you have to develop and balance that out in the business strategy yeah. uh, do you think there's any like uh, I know I don't mean to go into politics but like any national shift that can maybe encourage this kind of movement well it's an international movement B Corp. um it's been about seven or eight years that they've really been in place 
The belief is that a B Corp on the mid to long-term basis will be more profitable than a traditional uh, for-profit company. And the reason for that, if you take a company that, that operates in this way, they're going to have more passionate and probably brighter employees that want to work there because they're getting more paid, they're getting paid better than they are in other places and their company has a purpose. Um, investors get a dual return because they both get a financial return as well as a philanthropic return. So if you're investing in a company that's doing this work, you're feeling good about the work they're doing, but you also get a return. And customers are much more willing to buy these products and pay a premium on them because they, they feel good about the brand. They feel good about what that company is doing in the world. So they're willing to pay more, but also do it repetitively, be more and more of a repeat customer for these types of companies. Yeah. Good. Sorry. Well, so hopefully, I mean, my strong sense is that as B Corps become more and more established and they start to kick butt on other non B Corps, that just capitalism will sort of shift in this way. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I want to stress the the idea of like um, the non financial return being as valuable. Because I mean, on the flip side, I, my very first venture into internet marketing, I had a business partner who crossed some lines for me personally, but they're you know marketing best practices, and I we made more money than I ever had made. But like, I felt so shitty. It wasn't worth it. And like uh, again, like what sold it for me when you shared share this is like. I think you said like how much is that feeling worth? Like the feeling of like feeling good. Like it's it's worth more. I mean, like the yeah, it's worth more than anything once at least once your survival's taken care of. And and your generation coming in gets even more than mine. A bit older. Like, you know, I was raised in the eighties and Gordon Gecko greed is good, uh, mm -hmm. from Wall Street. Like that's what was it. And you know, much of our generation who who hasn't been able to break away from that, it's hard. They don't get it. That money won't bring happiness. And at a certain level, you need money. You need your base root chakra needs taken care of. And beyond that, you know, there's a lot more joy that comes from doing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I've just noticed like in situations like being self-employed, like where there's like an emotional risk to putting myself out there an opportunity where I could succeed or fail and make money. Just knowing that part of my income is going to things that are more important than my selfish needs, kind of like gives me a little extra motivation of like, well, I can't let them down, right? It's not about me looking good or anything. Yeah. A realization that came to me as well is again, my generation, we were raised with, you're going to get married, have kids, and you're going to go produce, and you're going to raise money for you and three other people. So my you know, traditional way, my wife and two kids. So I was going to make money, and every money that I made was benefiting three other people. Um, more and more so now, people aren't getting married, aren't having kids until later in life. And so there isn't this sort of early practice in necessarily making money for other people. That comes later on, right? So, you know, you kind of make money and serve your own needs um and so hard it so one of the cool things about the abundance model is it teaches people pretty early on to start distributing wealth to other people as you're making it much less if you were in a family right yeah it's like uh yeah i think it forces you to be connected to the collective it's as opposed to isolating which is like kind of the cause of a lot of our spiritual problems like just feeling separate um I think you said something when we first met, like, it's like you have three other children, like people causes and magic that you need to provide for. And it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, that actually, it just feels good. It's hard to like say that without smiling. And like, that's like worth a lot. 
you know, for me, I had three other, uh, I was married and had two kids that I was responsible for. And I started practicing, practicing the business, the business model when my kids went to college and my wife and I separated. So for me, it's pretty natural. It's just like, oh, well, these are the three people that I'm providing for. People causes the magic now. And, it, you know, so it allowed me to continue that practice. Yeah. C- could you share a little bit about, um, like, your transition from W-2 employment to, uh, like, how you live now? Yeah. Um, I, honestly, I, I don't I don't really think about money at all. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> I have a lot of faith. It's more like fun when money comes in. I see that my stuff's getting paid, and then usually there's something that there's a need that shows up, and I'm like, oh, like here's this extra jacket. It's not mine. It belongs to you. So that metaphor works really well for me. So it's just sort of moving um, puzzle pieces around to their appropriate places. Um, You know, I I have money at a credit union. I think it's really important not to have money in banks. Um, I think it's really, really important not to have any debt. Um, I've never twice in my life I've not paid the credit card bill on time. When back when I had credit cards, I've, so I've never had debt in my life. Um, I think debt's a real downer on abundance because mm-hmm. it's very difficult to be in an abundant world when you owe money to somebody else. Um, so you know you can't. You have a leaky cup. It's very difficult to flow the overflowing cup because you get the leak at the bottom. Um, so I've coached a lot of people that have credit card debt is to try if they can to move that debt to a credit union. And when they're giving, when they're paying off that debt, think of it as a donation to the, to the nonprofit that's a credit union. Because the, the, the credit union's role is to support other people and not do it in a, you know, in an evil way, if you will. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's really, really important to stay away from debt. Um, is that why you recommend banks over credit unions? Credit unions over banks. Oh yes, I meant yeah. I mean, the job of a credit, the job of a bank is to get people addicted onto credit mm-hmm. and be a leech on their life for the rest of their life, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the role of a bank. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's pretty sad. My my younger daughter, when she graduated from college at twenty two, she got a. Uh, mailer from the local bank saying hey we, we'd like to offer you a four thousand dollar free credit for a year um and you know, it's just like giving someone a free vial of crack and say here you take this you know yeah and once you kind of get used to having access to that credit line um it's very very difficult to not use it in the future you kind of assume that that's part of your your income status if you will right hmm. yeah i'm a Quite quite uh, anti uh, bank <laughs> credit unions are credit unions are you know they form us they they serve an important purpose mm-hmm. but they're in is supporting the community of people not to get mm-hmm. people addicted to credit. Gotcha, cool. Um, do you have any like tips for someone starting their practice of the abundance model? People who just hear about this, like where where should we begin? I Minutes. Mean, Depends on how serious somebody is, but it's a it's a pretty interesting practice to to go say a commit to six months of distributing ten percent of your income to each of the three buckets of people causes and magic, and and shrinking down to seventy percent to be for your own bucket. But the people that I've seen using it after the six months, the 
the net 70 is greater than the gross of 100 before they began the practice. Mm -hmm. So more bestow show up. So the 70% is actually more than when they were not practicing it. And it, and that's just on a financial basis. Um, and not to mention the emotional uh, benefits of coming to support these other three buckets. If not, one way to do it is uh, put money in those, set up these three different accounts and maybe not grant it out right away. So allow it to grow and try to imagine that that's really not your money and and live on the 70 and assume you put money into these people causes the magic bank accounts, but maybe not drift, maybe, maybe not distribute all of it out until you really have confidence in it. If they believe after three or four months, so oh, this doesn't work for me, you could, you could retain access to those funds. Yeah. That's been really great for me as well. Like just seeing it grow and like, like, oh, wow, this couple hundred dollars can make an impact. And now it's fun to spend it because it's not coming out of my account. Yeah, I just want to share like my, you know, we, we met I think, two years ago, I think I was like, really intrigued by this, but I was skeptical. And I actually was still paying off debt from uh, earlier. Yeah, earlier in life. And it was kind of, it was very challenging. So I was aggressively paying off my debt, but also starting to distribute money for things that felt good. But what I did find was like around six months, I had way more money. And this is just, this is not, you know, obviously proof of anything, but it was, uh, I definitely felt better and I did have more money <laughs> at the end of it. By the time I paid off my debt, which was about six months later, I had way more money than I ever had. It's, you know, I, I've been a pretty logical person my whole life, but I think I've lived a pretty magical life, but my mind has always been pretty logical about it. The last seven or eight years or so, I've, I've allowed the idea that there's a lot more magic happening out there and um, than I would have given credit to in the past. And so when I think people really step up to doing magic, you know, to bring magic into the field, to you know, helping others anonymously, um, then more magic starts to show up in their life. You know, it just happens. Yeah. I've probably worked with maybe 50 people in this practice. And I would be honest, I'd say about 75% of people have gotten really turned on by it. The other people, it didn't work for them. So it's got about a 75%. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> We're worth wagering a little money if you're, if you're on the fence. Um, cool. Uh, this is great. I think we covered everything I wanted to hit. Is there anything you might want to share about this with anyone else? No, there's a website. Um, I haven't updated it in a while, but it's called theabundancemodel.org. Um, we do have a Facebook page that people have shared some ideas on. Um, I, I claim no ownership of this, so I've, I've came through me and I've put it out there. Would love other people's participation in it if it takes off. Um, so share that share that with people that are listening. Yeah. I'm a, I'm, I'm a proponent of it as well. Um, and, and basically, yeah, the, the philosophy of everything and how to get started is on that page, which was great. Um, cool. Well, thanks so much, Matt. I feel extra jazzed about all of this as well. Um, cause I, I'll be honest, like there are times where like, I kind of forget and like scarcity comes back in and I don't want to distribute my income, but yeah. I, I, I go through phases too. It really helped me get started. Um, I don't think I go into scarcity, but I just kind of forget the practice for a while. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm like, I need to get back. I need like a diet. You eat, eat kind of crappy for a little while. And then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I need to clean my app well for a month and kind of get back on the wagon. And so it's a continuous practice. Um, definitely when I feel tight, 
when I feel like, oh, geez, I feel starting to feel contracting, the best way to get over that is to just go give 50 bucks to some random person and walk away, you know, or it, it's just like right in the face. No, no bullshit. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take on scarcity or nope, not at all. And the way to fight that is to do an act of abundance and it, things just shift. Like the mind, I'm not going to allow that to come into my, my experience. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, right. thanks again. Sure, bud. Good to talk to you. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to catch the rest of my work, go to Rwando.com. Catch me on social media at Rwando. And please do not forget to subscribe.